Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. It's time for you and those you love to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. It's called Move Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a free one hour live online class where you'll hear new and empowering information about how to solve addiction for good without steps, meetings, rehabs, or being labeled for life. If you're struggling or you love someone who is, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll in this free one-hour class, click the link provided or go to thefreedommodel.org and choose the date and time that works for you. See you at the masterclass. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran. And we wrote with our colleague, Stephen Slate, the Freedom Model for Addictions and the Freedom Model for the Family, which is truly a deprogramming guide. It'll help you kind of walk out of the addiction and recovery and treatment trap. Um, there is nothing like it available today. Um, you will learn information in there that you have never heard anywhere else but here. That's right. And if you want the shortened version of that, we have a free masterclass every single week that we give. um, And you can go to thefreedommodel.org and register for it. And uh, that's the best hour you'll spend if you want to get past an addiction without meetings, without rehabs, without clinics, without mat drugs, without all of that. Yeah. Um, we can show you how to do that. We'll show you the research and it's just an hour of your time. And again, it's free. So go to the freedommodel.org. A pop-up will show up. And if you can't make the live events, you can uh, watch the recorded version once you register. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about today is, uh, I know there's a lot of people that listen to our podcast that are our age and older. And even if you're younger, I, this is this will be good information for you. Yeah, because you're always adapting and evolving. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it, it, so it occurred to me this morning, I, I t- try to take my dog for a walk every single morning. And so there were a lot of dogs out. It was a, it was a, she does not like other dogs. It was a tough walk. But, you know, I let, I let my mind wander. When I'm taking my morning walks, I don't have headphones on. I'm, I, I kind of just do whatever pops into my head, stream of consciousness, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and it occurred to me today that I'm, that I'm a grandmother yep. and that I'm 55 years old and, and I feel younger probably than I did 10 years ago because I'm in physically much better shape. Um, emotionally, I'm in a much better place and you, you know, there's, but I think what happens, it, there's a, a lot of things that I loved when I was younger that not so much now. 
Like they, they, they're not, they're not as great now as they used to be. It's, it, it occurred to me and it occurred to Mark the same kind of thing, um, how our preferences have changed as we've aged. Yeah. So of course we can dovetail that right into substance use, the topic of substance use. So as we're going through talking about these other subjects, you can dovetail it into the fact that you can move past and evolve past a substance use problem. But where this conversation started, we were just organically talking this morning, having our coffee and breakfast here at the office. And um, I was saying that I'm selling my, my Harley. I got it last year, really enjoyed riding it. And, uh, but I, I almost got killed three different times out on the street with people pulling out in front of me and cutting me off and things like that. So, so obviously that got me thinking about how much do I really like riding? And it's interesting because I, what I found is that motorcycles, when I was first riding, when I was young in my teens and twenties, I really loved riding. It wasn't about ego. I just loved to get on a bike and go. And then uh, I rode sporadically over the last 20, 30 years. Um, and it became more about image. And I didn't realize that because as you get older, you sort of fall into the marketing, especially with a Harley, the image of it and all of that, and which is very alluring and, and fun. But what, here's what's interesting, though. So... If I really loved to ride like I did in my 20s, I probably would put up with people cutting me off and things like that because I'd have the skill set because when you're an enthusiastic rider, you're very defensive, you're a defensive rider, you're very engaged, right, mm -hmm. as a rider. And I could see myself out in that battlefield of the highways making it work. Um, but I, what I found is that I don't love riding as much, so my mind would wander to other subjects, subjects about my work and things, other passions that superseded the writing process. And then I realized that uh, when the writing became less um, alluring and exciting, it became more about ego, probably in my 30s and 40s and the sporadic times that I rode, it became more about image and, you know, sort of the Harley thing. And, and now, here I was, I didn't like writing as much and I didn't like need it for my ego anymore. <laughs> so, right. so I just didn't care about the ego part. And, you know, I had a real, I, the bike is beautiful. It's for sale. It is beautiful. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful motorcycle and I get a ton of compliments everywhere I would go. And I felt like the king of the world, but I really didn't, I didn't care. I did not care. So it was, it was strange to me that I didn't care. And it was an empty, hollow feeling because I had expectations that I would really love this. So this is just like drinking and drugging. You get to a place where the allure is gone. You know, the love is over, man. You know, the romance is over. And, and it's sometimes it's when it's an icon from your past, it's really hard to let go of. It is. You, it's you, weird. Yeah, you, it, it's, it's a sad it's kind of a sad thing when you realize this thing that I, I, I wanted so much and that meant so much to me for so long isn't what it used to be. And, and maybe I, maybe I should let it go. Maybe I can let it go. And, and it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like being on a roller coaster 
and you're the letdown when you have to get off. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the excitement of it is done and, and you're just like, okay. Yeah. I got to get back in line. I got it. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, I, yeah. It was, it was a weird thing. And I, throughout life. So, so I just want to keep going back to the drinking and drugging thing, because that's really what the addiction solution podcast is about. Of course. Um, I think you have to allow yourself to go through this process where you realize it doesn't do for you what it once did. And the irony of it is drugs, motorcycles, any activity is all interpreted by your mind. It's a very personal thing. And I realized that there were different facets, different things and angles that I looked at with the motorcycle riding. The only aspect that I still like out of it is the exploring mm. the countryside. And what I realized is that I would much rather have my dream vehicle, which ironically is a, is a blast from my past, which would be a, an 86 Dodge D-150 pickup, four-wheel drive, because I've always wanted one because I had that when I was younger. But maybe I, I'll be disillusioned with that too. Maybe I'll right. find that I get that and then I won't like it. But I think I will because I like exploring. <laughs> I, you know, I do well, like, but, but I like exploring slowly and safely. Yes. Yes. It's, you like it. You like it. I think you like exploring no matter what you're driving. Yeah. You know, I mean, yep. that's like, I like traveling no matter how I'm doing it mm -hmm. for the most part and seeing new places and, and traveling with people that, that are important to me that I like to be with. Um, with the drinking and drugging, when you see someone, I want to, I want to shift this over. You can see this with people in recovery. You know what, what happened when I left AA after we, uh, we left AA, um, and some time passed, I learned that there were a number of people that were supposedly long-term sober in AA who were moderately drinking. They were just lying. They liked the social aspect mm -hmm. of going to meetings. Um, but but on the on the down low, they were drinking occasionally or drinking moderately, which I just always like I look back at that and I think that's weird. But what happened for them is the same thing that happens for everybody that makes a change. And that is they realized they didn't like it as much as they used to. They didn't like the their preference changed quite naturally as a function of maturation, as a function of different things becoming important to them. Um, and so even if you see people that have long-term sobriety, maybe they leave AA and they still choose abstinence. A lot of people do that. They credit AA for, for saving them, for changing their drinking habits. It wasn't that. They did it in spite of what they learned, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe they like we did, they put 20 some odd years abstinent together and then they decide I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to dabble. Some people will dabble and realize they're happier abstinent. Some people will dabble and moderate successfully because they, their preference change for intoxication. And some people dive headlong into intoxication again, trying to get that from their past. Yeah. Trying to get the magic carpet ride that they believe the alcohol is responsible for. Um, it's a, uh, it's a strange thing. So 
I would say that my life today is better than it's ever been. Yeah. And ironically, everything that I do now, I'm more thoughtful about. And like the motorcycle riding and realizing and being more self-aware. And I think that there's a certain thing with age also with self-preservation, even hormonally. If you look, a man has his, his hormones change to be more thoughtful. Um, the way we process thought mm. in our brain tissue, all that sort of thing changes. A woman changes too. Um, and ironically, we hormonally sort of switch roles a little bit. We get a little more estrogen and less testosterone and you go the other direction, right? <laughs> um, and we, we kind of even out as people as you get away from the need to mate. So your hormones create a, a passage for greater wisdom, which is interesting how the body adapts with age. As you slow down, you need more wisdom to, to self persevere to exist because you don't have the reflexes to avoid danger the same way you did when you were younger. So if you accept that with age, these changes are happening. Sometimes they catch you off guard though. They caught me off guard in my forties. I felt less virile, less engaged and, and I struggled to work as hard. Well, what I realized in my fifties was I just got to do, and I do it with my hunting too. I have a, a, a thing I say, slow and steady. That's right. You know, and, and that makes me ready, right? So that's what I say in my head when I'm hunting, slow and steady makes me ready and ready that's to shoot. That's a huge change for him. You need to know that. Massive, massive, because I'm a rammy, crazy motherfucker. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Not so much anymore. <laughs> but, I, but I'm at the point now where I really am enjoying the moment. Yes. You know, that's huge. That's stoicism. I'm reading about the Stoics and they're like, for God's sake, stop living in the future and in the past and live right here because tomorrow you could be bit, hit by a beer truck. And, and I was like, you know what? Live in the moment without judgment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of my favorite Stoic quotes is, is to, to really be present in the moment that you're in and and not not second guess it not uh think i should be someplace else i should be doing something else this is where you are you're in this moment and and so that kind of goes along with this idea of a preference change you know i i think i mean there there was right you know once we started experimenting with moderation I did. We did run those experiments to see: do I, do I, do I like intoxication still? Mm -hmm. But, but in your forties, it's a hell of a lot different than it is in your twenties. Mm -hmm. And, and no, I, I, I realized it's not what I remembered, um, and it is what I remembered. Like, but the, the good part, the best parts of it is not what I remembered. Right. The fantasy is because you don't live in fantasy world anymore. As you get older, you don't live in this weird no. altered, you know, this figment in your head, you know? Yeah. It's what it is, is the context of life as you get older, gets bigger and bigger and bigger True. because all the experiences of your life pile up mm -hmm. when you're a little kid, when you're 12 and drinking for this first time, it's so poignant. It's so such so a new, it's such a big deal because you have maybe 10 experiences in your life. Obviously you have more, but, but now you have a thousand. So it's the, like the theory of relativity. It's relative to the amount of experiences you have. So if you have a thousand experiences and you, and you drink, 
it's not going to mean the same thing as you having 10 because it's that drinking experience is one tenth of your life experience in, in your head. And here it's one one thousandth. So when you go for a long period of abstinence, allowing yourself to let go of the addict image and the alcoholic image and the image of one drunk equal or one drink equals a drunk. And you got to get rid of all that shit because, because that'll keep you in the past. That'll keep you drinking the way you did when you were young. But if you let all that shit go and then you drink later at 40, my God, it is nothing like it was when it was 18. Well, no, 18. too, because it, you, if you have like we had two decades worth of life experience, and a massive experience, massive life experiences without alcohol. Right. You know, totally changed, totally changed where we realized I, I don't need it for anything I thought I needed it for. I, I like the, the thing that I couldn't imagine when I first got sober was the, I, I mean, I, I, I grew up in an Irish Italian family and weddings and funerals and all of these things, there was a ton of them and they were huge drinking events always. And I think like at 22 getting sober, I thought, what the hell am I going to do when I get married? I, I like, like I, I can remember thinking you, you need alcohol to celebrate a wedding. <laughs> like, how do you celebrate a wedding without alcohol? Well, I did that just fine. He was, he was in our wedding. Yeah. I mean, it was a blast. We yeah, had was a good time. so much fun. Yep. And, um, so, so you have all of these different life experiences when you, when you have a period of abstinence where you realize, wow, like, I think we had it. We talked about this in, a couple episodes ago. I create the magic in all of these experiences. Alcohol never did. That's right. You know, even though it seemed that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a tricky thing. Um, the binge construct, deconstructing a personal binge construct is, is a complicated process. Sometimes if you, if you have indulged in alcohol for, for years and years and years, and you believe all the hype and, and the marketing and your own bullshit, you know, yeah. and, and of course you have the fact that it does affect your body. So you have this effect that can easily be mistaken for a mental elixir, right? In the mental world, your choice making world, your, your thinking world. So you give alcohol credit for the things it's not doing. And then you imbue these sort of youthful uh, fantasies associated with it. Then you're 50 and you're drinking to pass out every night. And you're, because you're imbuing, you're desperately desperate. You're like me on a Harley trying to make it feel like it was when I was riding my first dirt bike at 15. Yeah. You know, which was extraordinary, by the oh, way. Oh, I'm sure. Right. Right. <laughs> Getting on the dirt bike for the first time was extraordinary. The whole sensation of it was amazing. And then here I am in my 50s and I get on a bike and it means nothing. I, I realized it meant nothing. The one thing that I really enjoyed, though, was riding with my wife because I didn't do that. Right. So that was new. Right. That was that's the one thing I will miss about it is we shared that together. And we really enjoyed that. So I have to figure out a different way that's safer to get that same or maybe even better experience, like maybe take cruises every year or something. So we're looking at get all that. Jeep and take the top off. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so I think that, I think that it's a matter of accepting the evolution of life. Yes. Is 
if you're not mindful, you will try to recreate past things because that's where your gaze might be. And you, you may not have the courage to look forward and say, I'm a different person now. I need to adapt to this. And, and the drinking and drugging, if you allow yourself to move, change your ideas about it to more, a more realistic view of alcohol and drugs, and they're very, very limited in what they do. They do things physically, but they don't do things mentally to you. When you get that, you're going to let them go. Like I'm, I'm the Harley's for sale, dude. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk, I, you know, I, I ran into this, not run into him. I was having my walk and, and, um, you know, I walk the same similar routes every day. So people see me. And so this man was in his driveway and he, and he said to me, and he, he was probably about, he was about 20 years older than me. He was 76. He told me how old he was. And he asked me how far I walked. He goes, I see you come by almost every day. And, and I said, well, usually two to three miles. And he was like, wow, that's, that's really great. And then he started telling me how <laughs> he used to do that. But now he, he, you know, he gets winded walking to the, the mailbox and and then he shared with me that he he sits every night. He goes, I I eat. I said something about like not eating sweets or something. And he said, I eat a half gallon of ice cream almost every two days. And I was like, Wow, that's <laughs> right? awesome. I mean, I'm like, I, I, but he's 76 years old. And so why not? And that's what I said to him. I said, I said, Well, so do you? It, you know, if you want to get back to walking and you like it, just walk a little bit more each day. And he goes, I got to quit the ice cream first. I said, or, or you embrace the fact that you're 76 and you enjoy the ice cream and you enjoy relaxing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that somebody should eat a half gallon of ice cream every couple of days or that they shouldn't walk. What I'm saying is, Whoever you are, when, when we talk about live in the moment without judgment, that means, okay, this is where I, I am right now. Right. Is it making me happy or not? Right. You know, and, and now I'm not going to have a, a coaching session with a man impromptu. So I just kind of chuckled and laughed and I said, you know, and it, it started snowing at that point. And then he was kind of like, it's snowing. <laughs> God, goddamn snow. <laughs> I'm like, happens every year at this time. Just saying. Um, and, but what I'm saying is if if you if you shed the judgment, right? Like, Mark, you could have been like, what am I stupid riding a motorcycle? I'm 53 years old. I could right. I could die. Right. No. Or yeah. um, no, you didn't do that. You just were like, mm, how much? Like that was, that was scary. That was dangerous. I, yeah. I'm not ready to leave this world. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so if you're trying to change something, we, we talk about this a lot, but there's, there's a way to go about doing it. That's, that's effective and positive. And there's a way to go about doing that. It isn't effective and it right. isn't positive. And that's the way most people pick, which is like that man that I talked to, like feeling, you know, like publicly self-flogging to, to a stranger saying, I can't believe I sit and eat a half gallon of ice cream every two days. And I sit on my couch and I don't walk. And I'm like, well, stop judging yourself for that and say, 
know what? At this stage of my life, I am enjoying that. Mm-hmm. And it is okay. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens that's amazing is you, you once you become mindful of what you're doing and you really sit with it and say, this is who I am right now and it's okay, you'll be able, it'll open the door <laughs> to be able to see Oh, maybe this isn't as good as I thought it was. Yeah. And and then it, it, that even gets better because this isn't as good as it once was. What would be better? Yeah. What would and, I like to do instead? Yeah. And and you can literally let something go. Just let it go. Yes. And and what that's called is a change of mind. Yep. Right? So a change of your mind. And and we have these truisms that people say all the time. They don't realize the power of it. I'm going to change my mind. You are the operative force. You are the miracle. You, your mind is the miracle. Yeah. And, and man, once you start getting this, as you move forward in life, we're always aging from zero to 95, whatever, whenever we kick the bucket. And, uh, and if you judge, if you, if you, you know, get into yourself and say, you know what, I'm what, what do I really love about this? What do I, and maybe the answer is nothing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're trying really hard with the Harley to make it like it used to be. And it just is never going to be that. And that's okay. Yeah. It was hard for me though. At first I kept oh, riding yeah. for a little bit and then. Then I had my last scare with somebody cutting me off. And I said, it really wasn't that. Like I said, when I started, that wasn't what made me stop riding. It was the culmination of realizing if I loved riding as much as I used to, I would I would take the challenge out on yes. the roads. I would. The cost would be worth it to me. The cost isn't worth it, not because of the cost, really. The cost isn't worth it because I just don't like riding that much anymore. Right. It's 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 not what you remembered. Look, at getting older is a fact of life. That's going to happen regardless, right? You're, you're, it just happens to you. But getting wiser is a choice. You know, being mindful and figuring out, you know, how good is this still is it requires you to be present in the moment and non-judgmental of of yourself and of the activity and figure out yeah maybe this isn't what i thought it was and it's okay because there was a time i really loved it and there was a time it served me well and but i can leave that in in my memories i i, I may have talked about this before but i went through a weird phases in my life where I was terrified of roller coasters until I was 22 years old. And then I wanted this boy to like me and he liked roller coasters. That boy's my husband. And so I started going on roller coasters with him and we traveled all around going on different roller coasters up and down the East coast. And I loved them, loved them for a period of time. And then I want to say it was the last time I went on a roller coaster was with your with Joey, and we were at that's Mark's youngest son, and he was probably nine or ten years old, and nobody wanted to go on this roller coaster with him, and it was the 
It was the rickety white one at, yeah, yeah. at the uh, Great Escape here they, in Lake George. Yeah, they brought it up from Long Island. It, it was like, it was, yeah. It was, Screaming Eagle or something. I don't I know. Can't, I, can't I can't remember the name, but it was, and I loved roller coasters. Joey and I, there was hardly anyone in the park that day for whatever reason, and we just kept going on this roller coaster. I think we went on it like four times remember that. in a row. God, it's so violent. It's, it's so, so old. violent. And I'm in my 40s, and I was like 40 pounds heavier than I am now. And I think we got out of off at like the fourth time and Joey's like, again, and I'm like, oh, and Michelle can't do it again. <laughs> I yeah. was sore for three days. That was the last time I ever went on a roller coaster. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm over it. It took me 20 years. I'm over it. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's, um, the thing about drinking and drugging, and the, this idea of you get into this cycle of binging, whatever style you have of binging, it can mm -hmm. be it, binging doesn't necessarily mean you hide away in a hotel for four days. It can be consistent drinking every day. It can be uh, going to the crack house every week when you get paid, whatever it is. You all have a, each of you have a, right. a personal style of binging. If, if the, the thing about a motorcycle or, or a roller coaster is that's different than drinking is. When you look at the roller coaster, you can't possibly understand it as a disorder because you're not placing it in your body. Right. So it's external to you. And you know that from your eyeballs looking at this thing that's separate from you. And so it doesn't, it doesn't jump into the realm of disorder, disease, things like that. The only reason that drinking and drugging can be seen in this inaccurate and very, very... So Great Un point. Uncomfortable way. And it, it is because you, when you place it in your body, something happens, which gets conflated with your fantasies. Yes. And this, this nuance is a, a really, it can be a very complex mind game you play. And when you have that mind game that you play, based on really good marketing by the booze companies, your drug dealer and big pharma, and now our society in general, the treatment industry, what they do is they talk about the effect on your body as being the same as stress relief, anxiety relief, and they mix it all together to make it sound like the drug is doing all that to you, which may, it's very believable because you feel something when you place the drug in your body. But feeling something physically and interpreting the feeling are two very different things. That's for sure. So feeling something in your flesh and in your head and feeling dizzy and your, your neurons firing differently has nothing to do with your beliefs. But the marketing is so fucking good yes. that you believe that that roller coaster is your answer for stress, that the motorcycle is, but the drug is really believable because you put it in your body. Yep. And then there's all this mythology that they wrap into that, which has you totally screwed up and believing that the alcohol is a self-medication, which is a remarkable triumph of marketing for booze companies. 80% of all alcohol that is consumed in the world is consumed by 10% of the people that buy it. In other words, mm -hmm. 
if you were to take 10% of the booze buying public worldwide and pull them out, 80% of the revenue from booze companies would go away. Go away. So they need you to believe that heavy intoxication is your answer to happiness. Yep. And that's been true for as long as they've been marketing these things and measuring that. It, it hovers between 80 and 85%. So they, they need you. They need that 10% of booze buyers. And the same holds true with drugs, right? The heavy users buy the bulk of the supply. Um, so they, but it's all based in this idea that the drug actually makes you change your thoughts and your interpretations. And, and that belief is a powerful, powerful religion. It's a powerful religion. And I'll give you an example of another way to look at it. When you go to church, if you're a Catholic, and a lot of people know the Catholic custom, when you drink the host, or the, when you drink uh, the wine and you eat the host, which is a piece of bread, right? And the whole idea is that it's the blood and body of Christ. And some people have a very religious experience. It's called communion, where you commune with Christ when you take the body and the mm -hmm. blood into your body. And some people take it very literally. And so they have that experience. Now, I'm not here to say that Christ doesn't come to them. That's not my point. My point is they believe it does. Right. We know that 100% of the time for the people that say it, it happens to them. Now, whether it does or not, we will never know. With alcohol, at least with alcohol, we know it's not Christ, right? <laughs> but we act as if it is. We act the same way that it really does take my stress away. How does this physical object, a piece of bread and wine, or or an object of crack, a molecule of acetaldehyde blood in your blood, how does that take away your stress? It can't. It can't. But if you believe it, it does. So our interpretations are so powerful. Our interpretations are everything. Well, if you believe it, it does until it doesn't. That's right. Right? That's, because And that's the next step. <laughs> yeah. Because if you're, if you, nearly everyone that prefers intoxication, there's there's a window. We talk about this in the binge contract. There's a window where it, you feel like it's helping you, but you always get past it. Yeah, your mind is so um, active and powerful and driven by the positive drive principle that you're right. It's like riding the Harley. For the thousandth time at 53 years old going, eh, I've done this a thousand times. I've done this 5,000 times and it's not that exciting. So my mind interprets the writing experience differently than it did when I was 15 and it was new. So binging is exactly like that. It is. You, you, you're getting on the bike the first couple of miles. You're excited. By the fifth mile, your back's getting a little sore. Reality strikes. Your mind starts to wander back. Somebody to cuts you off. You're like, <gasps> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right. You get a DUI because you're drunk. And now, and now the, the point is reality will always supersede fantasy. You can yes. only stay in a fantasy so long. Your, your mind is, is so intelligent and so remarkable and so free to think whatever you want to think. Um, that you can only go so long with a fantasy that isn't working. 
And so when the alcohol doesn't have, because it doesn't have a mind, it doesn't actually take your stress away. So you're shit face drunk and you're still thinking about the bills. You're still thinking about, I got to hide the booze from my wife. I got to avoid this road because a cop sits there. When you're thinking all that crap after the third or fourth drink, and it's all coming back to you, you realize this fantasy agent isn't so good at its nope. job. It's nope. just not as good at its job. And what it is, is you're too damn smart. You've evolved past the illusions. You've evolved. You're too smart. So allow yourself this wonderful ability to actually problem solve bullshit, self-inflicted bullshit that you're telling yourself. Let it go. And you can let your binge construct go. Now, I want to end with, if you can't do that because it's so complex to you, for God's sakes, get coaching. We will coach you through this. Come up and spend two days with us. In two days, we can undo your whole binge construct with you. That's what we call CASP, the Complete Addiction Solution Program, our workshop. We will go through the binge construct with you. We will dismantle it, and you'll be like, holy shit, I can really move past this. But we have to dig in and figure out all your beliefs. And I bet you your beliefs are pretty profound towards bullshit. Yeah, and I, I want to ask Mark a question. Because this is, goes right to, I, I know what some people are thinking, and that is, if I let this go, won't I be miserable? When you sell your Harley, are you going to be miserable? No. No, because I've, I have analyzed the value, the true value of what it means to me. Yeah. And like booze, I don't, I really don't drink hardly at all. I used to moderately drink, but I almost rarely drink at all now. Um, you change, you change. And, and I have other things. I have my grandson. I would much rather walk around in the grass watching him explore his world. He's so fucking cute. He is great. You know, he's crazy as well, hell. Well, that's but it. He's so awesome. You, you look for things. There, there's always new things. Yeah, you move on to value and yeah. and new activities. And I mean, that to me, that's out of the things that I've I've learned as I've gotten older. It's that there's always new things, and to explore. There's new places to explore. There's new people to meet. It, you know, the world is infinite, and. And so if I let this thing go that really isn't all that great and not serving me that well anymore, it opens it opens my world to new opportunities, yeah. you know? And once you become open to those new opportunities, you'll be amazed, right, at, at how much happier you can be. You won't miss that thing at all. It's like going from that bicycle to a car when you're 16. It's the same kind of thing. Um, so, yes. If you are struggling with these concepts, um, if you're in the online program, you can get a coaching session right through the online program for a discounted rate. Um, if you don't have the online program yet, come to our masterclass and, and you get a coupon code uh, to get the online program for a half price. Um, and you know, but if you, if you're still struggling with all of these things, maybe it's time to, to do the coaching program or to come and spend a few days with a couple of days with Mark and I. Yeah. 
yeah. and, and learn it all. And, and we will help you to deconstruct this. you you can change your preference. You oh, really can. Uh, yeah. You can move on from this and, and have a wonderful life and not feel deprived, not be in recovery, have a completely normal, successful life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you've been hoodwinked by the treatment industry. For That's sure. why we call it, right? Right? Escape the treatment and recovery trap. It's a goddamn trap. It's yes. a trap. That's right. All right. <laughs> All right, everybody. I, I I hope you have a great Thanksgiving if you're here in the US because this is this is coming out Thanksgiving week. So enjoy. All right, everybody. Take care. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic. And we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.